Welcome to Art Everywhere. Tonight, my guest is Ember DeBoer. Hello. Hi. Ember's Forge on the gram. Mm-hmm. That's right. Nice. And you were, you were telling me you came up with Ember's Forge because... Yeah, because it's essentially the name my studio space always takes on wherever, wherever it may be. Um, always uh, with the pandemic, I was a traveling artist for a while. So um, Ember's Forge has become the encapsulating name for my studio space, potentially like my business, my art business. So yeah, yeah, Ember is uh, an artist name I gave myself. That's really cool, dude. So traveling artist, please tell yeah. me more. Well, during the pandemic, I was going to Sac State and they kicked us out of our studios. Um, I moved here when I was about 19, 20, and I took a year off to go to college, and I started my first semester in the fall of 2019. And then for Christmas, I came in and we built studios. Had no idea they were gifting them to us, no idea that's what we were doing. And the, the bar for entry was, you had to come not knowing you were getting a studio, help all day, and then they were like, well, the rooms we're building are for you which was lovely. It was amazing. I felt like I worked that whole time moving here, saving, working really hard to get that studio space. I was like, oh, I have a corner of the world. It's mine, you know? Yeah. And uh, March, 2020, the pandemic strikes. I'd spent a month getting the studio space, like just the way I wanted it, just started making work in it. And they kicked us out. And I had spent years of my life saving to move here, you know? So, um, the culmination of like global uncertainty. Oh, is that Alexa? Yeah. Sorry, Alexa. <laughs> um, the uncertainty of the pandemic and and losing my studio space. I had a really big low. Um, I had a really big low, and it took me to really dark places. And so, for the first two months of the pandemic, I just went down. And I think a lot of people went through something extremely difficult in that time. I don't think anyone went through the pandemic unchanged, for sure. Oh, for sure, not unchanged. And um, when I came out on the other side of that, I worked harder than I've ever worked before. And so the lack of studio space became uh, less of something I was willing to get in the way. And so a lot of drive came from... I need a place for this thing I have to do. And I literally will not survive if I don't find it. That became the praxis for getting things done. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. So where does, where does that drive come from? Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard to pinpoint a specific time. When I was young and I was in high school, I was lucky I had an art teacher that believed in me every step of my education. And not many people can say that. I think that's a big part of the reason I'm still here. Like other people believed in me and people that I respected and looked up to had sponsors and mentors. So I'm extremely um, privileged and lucky in that sense, right? To have those people in my life. But I had a mentor in high school who made it very clear to me. Uh, his name was David Hunt, uh, kind of one of those wacky high school art teachers that's kind of like, like one screw loose, but like lovable person. And he made it very clear to me that if I thought being an artist was going to be easier than being like a doctor or something, I was delusional. And that if I wanted it, I really had to want it. And that no one could tell me, unlike being a doctor or STEM or some, how to be an artist. Like it was something I was going to have to like fuck around and find out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so he just said that to me over and over again. And he, he drilled many things into me um, that I found important, but he pushed me to go to the Kansas City Art Institute. And uh, so I attended there for three weeks in a summer program, but I stayed in the dorms. It was like a mock college experience. They wanted you to know what going there would be like. And um, so it was prep for that. Essentially, I was like, is this what I want? Fine art. And it was extremely expensive. And um, as I got older, college got more expensive and it became harder and harder to actually go there for my four year. But that, those three weeks, um, I spent 12 hours every day studying like life, life drawing, um, figure. We did painting for 10 hours and I would come home on the weekend. Like after the second week, we were allowed to go home for a day and see our family. And, you know, we we're just supposed to be kind of like isolated in the art thing for a while. So I came home and I felt delusional. I was not on any drugs. I felt delusional. I, uh, I, I would just, things looked different. I, f I felt like I saw things differently and I didn't understand why, but I knew it was a direct result of all of the artwork I'd been making, like 12 hours every day of finding the beauty in everything or something, you know? 
And I literally gave myself a tattoo and I devoted my life to art during those three weeks. Yeah, it was like an angsty art camp thing to do. Like you didn't have any supervision, whatever. But like that was a real promise I made to myself. Um, so those are maybe some of the more defining moments where like it became obvious to me that like art is just like entwined with what I'm supposed to be doing. And all I'm ever doing is trying to find better ways to correlate the two, like my purpose and how I make art. Um, I'm lucky. I have half of the, the equation like here for me. I know what I'm supposed to do. You know, the other half is like figuring out how to do it and how you want to affect yourself and what you want it to do for other people. And but I, I'm very blessed with I've known that like art was the thing that impacted me and would help me impact other people. That's really cool, dude. Like <laughs> just having that. That unshakable knowledge of like, this is it. I'm on the right track and not knowing because a lot of times it's so great because you're like, I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. And you get a couple steps in. You're like, this is fucking awesome. And then some shit happens. You're like, fuck, mm -hmm. I can only go forward. Mm, yeah. I think it is about the like, um, not ever counting anything as a failure, but only a propensity to try again in a different way. And like, but you can't just know it or think it. You have to like, like live that. Like there's a very different point between understanding, like learning something and then actually affecting it, you know? And, um, and so these rounds of like devoting my life to art were also like deeper understandings of just how essential art was to me feeling like a person or like a person that's worth being here, you know? And so when I was, you know, the pandemic struck and I was like, what, like 22 or something, um, that's when I realized I was like, oh, like it's vital to my survival. So, you know, yeah. and it was just deeper and deeper understandings every time I went through something like that. Um, yeah. When, when you say you were looking at things differently, like how, like what, what, what were you thinking? Like when you noticed it, it felt like a daydream. Um, I, I felt like I was so surrounded by this feeling of beauty. Um, and like, you could, you could ascribe it to the types of drugs people take, I guess. Right. I've taken them. I understand feelings can be similar. Um, but this was not, um, a substance. This was just, um, and it's, it's like cheesy, maybe like high on life. Like there was such a propensity for like, when you do, um, the traditional fine arts, when you do life drawing, something I really love is life drawing. I did it for many years and you observe form and shape and texture and line and you try to communicate that in live time and you get this connection between your physical hand and your eye, almost like sports, right? It's a performative in the moment kind of thing. Um, there's uh, this focus on the present, you know, it's it forces you to be very mindful, very aware and to spend all day in that state observing beauty and then having classes that are intended to teach you and grow your mind and are all about finding beauty and then you just like suddenly go like pulled right out of that situation and get plunked right back to where you were before like I think that I just um knew I the exact words in my mind were if this is what doing art means I want this for the rest of my life like if this feeling is what art doing art seriously is, then I, I want more of it. Like I just decided. No, that I've, I've had the same experience when I, when I was early on in, in my training, um, and I'm basically self-taught, but yeah. I, I learned how to teach myself. If that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. One of my, the things I found the most attractive and interesting about people my whole life is people who are good at teaching themselves how to do things. I find that fascinating. I have always felt very bad at doing that. Um, and I went to college because I felt like I needed mentors. And like I told you, I've always had a mentor. In fact, if anything, I feel like it took a long time to realize how you teach yourself new things, like truly, like actually implement them, you know? Um, I felt slow to that, but I admire people who have like the ability for it and have done it without years of academic, whatever the fuck, you know, I find that admirable. I really, it's, um, well, it's a lot of times it's a necessity. Yeah, absolutely. Right? A, a lot of times it's like, well, I want to do this. I don't know how. And then, you know, so my story is 
prison. I was mm. in prison and I learned how to draw. I did all that stuff. But there was guys in there who didn't, that, that were drawing and, you know, making birthday cards or, you know, handkerchiefs, you know, different, different styles, different mediums, all this, mm-hmm. you know, maybe things I would never do, right? Because it just doesn't strike me. Mm. But there's techniques that they would do, that they would have. And I'd go, excuse me, how? Mm-hmm. And they go like, huh? Usually they have headphones on. They're like at a table by themselves. And I'm like, excuse me, what's that one thing you're doing? What's that? Why are you doing that? And they'd go, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, and they just explain to me. And I go, oh, hey, thank you. And I'd ask them their name. Like, hey, hey, good to meet you, bro. And then I'd take that back to my cell and I'd, and I'd apply it to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like a sponge because once I figured out I had a knack for it, mm-hmm. for drawing, I was just like immersed. Like yeah. that was that was it. And when I would come out, when you said like I saw things, you saw things differently. I was the same way. Like I'd be, I'd be talking to someone, and I'm like, I'm studying their face, mm-hmm. the way shadows hit their face, yeah. the way like, um, the way like their mouth joins to their jaw. Like, oh, mm. like that's not a line. That's like this subtle. Bl- there's like this blurring effect that happens. Like, why is that? What the fuck? How does your lip just turn into your face? Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the the overstudy and then they start to like notice it everywhere. Yes. And it becomes a part of the way you see things. Um, it reinvigorates something that like we I feel like creativity can only access for us. I, I kind of equated it to like once I took acid for the first time mm-hmm. when I was like fifteen or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I took after I after I was like I saw things different and I go, wait, did I see things like this before acid? <laughs> right. Like I didn't I didn't know. And mm. like, did I just not realize it? Like, yeah. did it, did it, did it change something in my brain? Like, so that now I'm able to see it or did it change something in my brain so that I'm able to see what was always available? I yeah. just didn't, I just wasn't in tune with it. Yeah. If that you makes know, sense. Or you wonder how long you might have taken to come to certain, um, understandings or awarenesses. I, um, I, I did the same thing. I tried it when I was really young and, uh, and, uh, it influenced me a lot to, to be honest, like taking that, I needed an altered perception to understand just where I sat in the world. Like I was, I feel like without those experiences, those mind altering ones, I would have been a lot more sheltered of a person. I grew up in what should be a very comfortable environment. And I just so happened to find it very uncomfortable. Um, I grew up in suburbia and, and while it comes with comfort, um, I felt deeply unseen and misunderstood. And, um, and when I had those experiences, I, yeah, I felt connections I hadn't felt. It's a little different than the art thing, like the visual thing, for sure. For sure. For sure, the visual thing. Um, but uh, yeah, different kinds of breakthroughs that both happened for me at a young age, and maybe both were vital. It's hard to say. Um, uh, you know, I think many other people in their life come to those awarenesses or altered perspectives without the hallucinogens or the altered drugs. Um, many people come across these like... Um, artsy creative or alternative ways to see the world through like many altered states you know the brain is a really weird landscape that's what a lot of the work is about for me yeah I think um in in studying your work like you're you're always playing with like texture you're always playing with shape and you're you're always like pushing the boundaries of what's gonna work like Mm. even like putting shit up like a like a sculpture up on the wall mm-hmm. yeah like really cool shit and i'm like oh and um so then i start thinking and your art's working because i'm thinking okay what was she thinking what is she trying to you know what i mean that's <laughs> Thank that's you. Thank that's you. that's when you know art's working when you start thinking about what they might have been thinking mm. yeah i'm glad it, it um causes you to contemplate it's very nice thank you yeah of course i um Yeah, I've been doing this weird thing for a while now where uh, the glass is like a really important material to me. And I'm a sculptor, so like I have a weird attachment to the materials I use. So the glass in my work um, has become about this uh, universality that we all experience. But over time, um, uh, the work has morphed with it, you know, and um, I was talking about how I have a peculiarity towards certain material because I'm a sculptor and I, and so material holds a lot of meaning for me. 
And um, um, so, yeah, the textures in my work, as you brought up, they uh, they relate to the human condition for me. Funny enough, I have this this connection in my brain that I've tried to establish over time with my work for other people. Um, but I am very texture sensitive. Like I'm very like I pay attention to them. I think the the wet rock of the northern California shores and the green lichen that grows on branches and um, waxy leaves and and all of these these textures have their own beauty. But then also there's lots of discarded items and and I play with the balance between um, many things. I think ambiguity is one of the most compelling things in art. Um, so when I play with industrial elements that have texture and natural elements that have texture, I'm mixing a masculine and feminine form of creation, right? We see industrial creation as very like masculine and we That's see made by man, yeah, right? Like man forged, forged steel, forged steel and then buildings and brick. And like, we just, you yeah. know, we think of construction and, and structure and architecture, very male. And then when we think of creation and the feminine, we think of the organic and the natural and mother plants. earth. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I just had a dialogue with someone the other day about how um, ironically in the act of creation, it's, it's really not either one. I really love encapsulating this, this like gray gender ambiguity in between the masculine and the feminine and like highlighting how they're not really that separate. Like rust on metal is an extremely organic chemical process, right? And we imbue plants and other things into our structures all the time. So this, these, these, um, barriers we experience between the perception of textures and interior spaces and the interior of the mind, they all have a connection for me. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. And it, it's like, we almost, we're almost looking for that balance, like without knowing it. Yeah. Like, Hey, my, my place needs a plant. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's, it could be that simple. Yeah. It, and often it, it comes from like the primal place of feeling like, you know, you just recognize like I have an urge for something, which is a very primal experience, desire, right? And then through that desire, you you have natural occurrences of what you, you want or need. Um, so everything that isn't the glass, all those other textures, um, those, those really balance the masculine and the feminine. Because I saw a piece that you did and... It was, there was sand and glass. It was like a glass mosaic thing, like juxtaposed to it. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool because sand is glass and glass is sand. Absolutely. But they're these different, they're, they're in different states currently. Because mm -hmm. uh, glass is technically a liquid. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's technically a liquid. Um, somebody was paying attention in sand. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so... So it, I, I thought it was really cool that like you just, you just threw that out there and it, it, just, it just struck me because when I, when I have guests on, the way I do it is like I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll be scrolling through my Instagram and somebody pops up like, like you popped up in the algorithm and I was like, oh, hell yeah. I'm going to see if she wants to be on. <laughs> yeah. This is fucking dope. And then I was going through your stuff and I was like, oh, dude, she's fucking dope. Thank you. And then I reached out and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm down. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> so... Then I just kind of like go through your stuff a little bit, like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Your stuff's cool. And today, just before I got here, I went through and I kind of like, okay, what stuck out to me during the last week when I went through your stuff? Yeah. Like, okay, this, this, this. And what is it about this? Like, tell me more about this. Um, like the crocodile at the crocker. <laughs> like that was that was really cool, man. Yeah, you saw that? Of oh, course. That's funny. I just had a so the crocodile at the crocker is actually the crocodile head is not my piece. It's actually my professor, Robert Ortball's piece. And I just ran into him for the first time in a year today. So it's hilarious that you bring that up. It's no accidents. Um, and I, I was joking with him. I said, Yeah, man, the crocker's sleeping on that. Like croc at the crocker, that's freaking hilarious. No one ever, you know. I mean, Yeah, this just... should be a thing. We'll we'll tag it. Hashtag croc at the crocker. Croc at the crocker. And I, you know, I might actually end up wearing that costume. Uh co I say costume lightly. It's it's a fine art piece that I wore. This I just so happened to have this bodysuit that's also gold. And we had, you know, this opportunity to participate in a performance art piece or a performative art piece at the Crocker for an event. And um, so I chose that head to wear. And uh, 
And I found the bodysuit that I'd owned later and just so happened to just decide to like, I wasn't even supposed to. I went into like the fine art painting place of the live, still life painting areas and like took photos in it. So like, that's what you probably saw. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, what an opportunity. It was just uh, mad fun. Like what a testament to like the cool life getting to be an artist, <laughs> you know, getting to dig around like that in the crocker. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. it's It was cool. I thought like she knows how to have a good time. Yeah. Well, it's, um, to bring back the sand thing that you were talking about too, though, um, cause that felt important is, uh, the, the glass of different States. Like I'm very happy that you actually thought about it and, and picked up on these things. You know, there's, um, I'm the kind of artist I create puzzles for myself and, uh, I really love the layers of intricacy that keep me entertained long enough to finish the piece. And so for me, you know, most pieces, they just keep, going and and what parts of it get shared at a show or in an artist statement or um in an artist talk I, they don't they only reach so many levels of that you know and and that's sometimes that's okay like the art's also for me and that's fine right and there's always right. a line there that you're playing with how much do i need people to know about the work for them to understand something fundamentally like aesthetic or meaningful about it well what what always gets me is when somebody reads something into it that I didn't know I put in. Mm. You know, that's that's always like, oh, shit. You ever get the hindsight bias where you're like, yeah, I totally thought of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no. no, it is really so, like exciting when someone catches on to something that like, and then you think back and you're like, I feel oh. that though. I feel yeah, it, yeah. Subconsciously, you know? you're, you're, you're speaking, you're speaking these things into reality without realizing it. And, and it's just, it just ends up there and you, we're kind of like blind to it because we're so close to it. Yeah. And then somebody else will come by and like pick it out. I love when they just like throw it out. They're like, oh yeah, I like how you did it. And you're like, oh fuck, or, I'm transparent. Or maybe this is one of the biggest motivations in being an artist, talking about being a kid from the suburbs who felt misunderstood growing up and, and had all of this internal frustration and angst and like, and uh, like almost anger at like sheer anger at that for maybe no good reason, <laughs> maybe some good reason. Um, you know, uh, that um, that frustration and angst, like when people see your work and they realize something you put into it that maybe you haven't even verbalized or externalized except in the work yet, you feel seen. You feel really seen. And that's like a deep knowing that you can only share with someone who's like in your live like I'm a big proponent of the idea that even fine art sorry even fine art is live right and uh so when you go and see uh, a piece of art in your hometown like Sacramento and you see it in person and you meet the artist or even if you don't it's only there for a couple weeks you might only see that piece once for a couple of minutes an extremely live in-person moment is happening you know, and you don't get to see art live. We see it all over Instagram and, but like, especially with sculpture, most people see my work online and then they see it in person. It is not the same. And I think that that's true for most art, but our, you know, the way we operate and support and participate in art becomes very functional often. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big proponent of the idea that like art is this live moment you're having with something that's it's, like across from you that yeah, someone has put there, you know? Yeah, there's like a, an element of like live music mm-hmm. in in paintings in, uh, in, in all of that. And, and the reverse is true too. Mm-hmm. Like, when you, like when you see, I remember one of my buddies was like, uh, we were in prison and uh, I was, I painted, at the time I used to get really cheap paint, like people would gift it to me. Like their sellies would get in a fight or something and they'd go to the hole and they'd have their art supplies and, you know, they can't take them to the hole with it. So they'd be like, hey, dude, and my cell went to the hole. Do you want to buy some art supplies or here? Here's some art supplies. My cell went to the hole. You, can you use them? I'm like, oh, yeah, dude. Cool. So I would do underpaintings with this shitty paint. Right. right. And then well, I'd go awesome. over it with like uh, my precious like Liquitex or Utrecht or whatever right. I might have. I'd have like the tiniest amount and I'd just stretch it. I'd go in washes and I would, it would be like this really deep effect that I would get. Mm. Mm-hmm. And my buddy told me, he's like, dude, he's like, uh, it's really cool seeing your stuff live like this. He said, but I would love to see your work in print because I want to see what a camera does to it. Oh. And I was like, whoa. I said, like, oh. I never thought of that. And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, it'll be totally different when you see it in print. And I was like, oh, so when... When I came home, one of the first things I did was take pictures 
of my art and send it to him. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just had the uh, the curiosity then, huh? It's it's cool um, when you said when you shared about um, you know going up and asking people about how they were doing stuff. I was like, oh man, we're gonna get along. You're a process nerd. That's yeah. That's what I hear in that. Like yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm a big process nerd. Like I and most of the good artists I meet, like there's just something in the doing that they like can't get over. And that's, yeah, those Bro, are my people. <laughs> listen, so there's, you might think this is weird, but there's, there's a, a very common thread amongst my Insta feed, right? Mm. It's, um, it's people lifting weights, people doing jujitsu, people painting and people doing DIY projects around the house, like plumbing, uh, electrical work. All that stuff. So you daydream about doing is what and I, I hear. just do. I just fucking nerd out on the shit. I'm like, oh, oh, and music. Like, oh, well, these are how, this is the circle of fourths and blah blah blah. Here's an interesting way to change it up. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's cool. So I, I just love seeing people's processes because I'm like, somehow, some way, that's getting into my brain. Like all these things that these people are doing and, and hearing them think about it out loud as they're telling me how they do it. Like it's it's sinking into my brain and it's all the same shit. I'll, the creative streak is is the same in everything, whether mm. it's you know some some guy uh, kickboxing in Thailand or some lady knitting a sweater. Mm. You know, what I mean, it's all the same thing. It's all the same process. Like having to think about like the the having to think about a, the movements so much that you don't have to think about them anymore, and it's just intuitive. And now meditative. you're just physically meditative. Yeah. And you're, and you're just going, you just, you, you kind of just hit the go button and it just goes. And then you have to stop and think like when somebody says, Hey, wh what are you doing right there? And you got to go, Oh fuck, what am I doing right here? You ever right. have that when you're yeah. like, Hmm, I'm not sure. There's an intuitiveness there for sure. And no, and over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's really cool. And when I see, when I see artists like like you, your your stuff seems like very, um, it seems like a different language. Mm. You know, <laughs> thank you. Like like there's there's artists that are like that. That there's it's like um, that's that. It, I'm sorry. That's what I would call the material. When I say I'm like I have weird feelings and like ascribe weird things to the material. Like I would argue like the material is my language. Um, yeah, it's like a it's like a it's like a kid's language. Like I, I've, I, I've realized this in the last year that a lot of my favorite art is intuitive and it's like not childish, but childlike. Mm, play it, or, there's, there's, or it like, it livens the parts of like the sensories in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like things that are, um, things that are just like really heartfelt. Like I, like I know you mean this stuff, like you're not doing this. So somebody will, um, so somebody will think it's cool. It's something that, that you do because. Like that's, this is what you do. Like this is who you are. Mm. Right. And, and there's some, like my favorite artists are, are that way. They have these, these things that are, that are quintessentially them. Like when I see their art, I'm like, oh, that's nobody out. That's yours. Yeah. That's 100% yours. You're not, you're not emulating somebody else. You're not, this is, this is your thing. And it's, it's very playful, but it's very, I, I think that's the deepest shit. Yeah. Well, I think when you see the artwork on the wall at a gallery, there's like a residue and like literally like a residue on work that comes from people who exude that. And I think that the longer you go look at art and the more you observe and the more critical you are of what you're seeing, the more you can tell and, and sense the care or like the fucks given in an artwork. And so serious, it's, it's vital. And, um, and I wish there was more critical discourse around the difference between those things. And like, there's a lot of art that is commercial and that's okay. But the whole like, it's not commercial, ah, like, yeah, commercial. If an individual is making commercial art, there's still an extremely personal element to it for sure. And there's still a business, but like commercial and fine art, like, there's this this residue that comes from something that can only be beckoned by like a feeling. And um, I think that has something to do with it. Absolutely. Um, well, it's the difference between um, a group album, right? Like music. Right? Yeah. I, I, I liken things to, to music a lot because uh, it's, it's one of my other nerd outs. It's really helpful. <laughs> right. So it's the difference between like a collaborative album with a band and mm -hmm. somebody doing a solo project. 
yeah. like a solo project is theirs. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's 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 for them, and if and I believe that if to to properly make a piece of art, you have to make it for yourself. Mm. If you're making it for an audience, I think there's already something tainted about it. It could still be really cool. It could be really effective, but there's something impure about it. it, it it's it's like when somebody flavors whiskey. Right. Or if you're doing it for um, uh, when so much of the making of the work becomes focused on some sort of intended or hoped reaction of oh. which you actually have no control over. It's also like a certain type of delusion that doesn't take you very far. That's yeah. an important note about it, right? Is like, like often we will make things that we think people will desire and hope people will desire. And in some way, it's almost like a self-written prophecy, I think. Like making things that you hope people will desire, like it can work out commercially if you're thinking about enough like factors. But if you're trying to make a piece of art, it you're doing something else. Absolutely. Those yeah. are separate acts. Um, Although... There is a thing when you're playing with people's um, proclivities. Yeah, yeah. Like when, like when you know that, um, like people have a range of emotions, and you're saying, like, you know what, I want to do something that's that's gonna that's gonna fuck with people. Like what? But you have to like bring it back to yourself at the same time. Like, okay, what what really fucks with me? I feel like gimmicks can be used in art. Yeah, they for can. sure. But you have to relate to the gimmick in a way that's honest. Like if you're using a gimmick because you're like, I saw someone use neon and that's cool. So I don't know. People think it looks pretty. Okay, sure. That, that's a gimmick. It's something that's immediately satisfying. It's a style we know people like. But if you have some sort of relationship to what that means for the concept of the piece and you're incorporating it, that's when it gets meaningful for me. And I think that kind of intention is something that, that – um, is what I'm talking about when you, you have something on the residue of the piece that you know someone. Uh, someone gave me the definition of fine art recently that I really enjoy and uh, I heard very recently, so I think it's it's cool for debate, but um, it's that every element of the piece uh, essentially serves its intention and everything is a means to the ends of the concept. And when that's done masterfully, you have fine art. And everything in between is like a figuring out process. And a, and a experimentation and self-development. I also think that acts of creation are also inherently acts of self-creation. There's no way around that either. It's a very messy business here. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. I, I believe that um, that pieces are kind of born. Mm. You know what I mean? They're, they're born. They're supposed to be brought into this world. And we, we bring them into this world. Very masculine, feminine kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah talk it's about that again. it's like, very much that. Is creation one or the other, right? But you're bringing, yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, well so, so think about this. Talk about some nerding out shit. You look, at a, you look at a canvas and you look at a color palette, right? Some paints. Let's say some acrylic paints. There's like six acrylic paints, mm -hmm. right? Standard. You see these brushes that you're going to use. Cool. Mm -hmm. Dime a dozen, right? But think about this, that these items all existed from the beginning of time. They all existed as molecules just floating in the universe. And then they all were like superheated, supercharged, fucking exploded billions of years ago, dude. And they fucking flew into the fucking great darkness, right? And they just fucking fucked around <laughs> yeah. and they just swirled around, swirled around, took different forms over time. They've been, you know, broke down and, you know, uh, fucking reassembled tons and tons of times until these little bits from all over the world became cotton. <laughs> and then those, those pieces of cotton were all brought together in this big machine and woven into this thread that was woven into uh, canvas and then they were strapped on these boards that come from different trees mm. and yeah. and those were assembled with staples that came from this iron ore that come from like the other side of the world but all these pieces come together the the pigments and the paints have existed forever and then there's some pigments that are going to be a part of this paint this beautiful work of art and then there's this little glob of paint that's so close so close but it dries on the palette <laughs> 
It dries on the palette, dude. Like sometimes I feel bad for the paint that dries on the palette. Cause I'm like, fuck dude, you could have been this. And there's these paintbrushes that, you know, you get from all over the place. They come from all over the world and they all come together to make this one painting. You know, I love this. I love this, that you've brought this up. This, this sort of, um, this almost like grief or empathy for the drop of paint that made it all that way and just never hit <laughs> just the canvas. never fucking did it. I just did an artist talk about the power of empathy. And so, I mean, it just aligns with something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And, and how do we hold empathy for the things we make? And how do we hold empathy for the world around us when we make? And and how does that how do those things align? You know, it's it's a part of um the artist doc was women's eco artist dialogue. So it's along the threads of environmentalism, and um, and those threads, but uh, the power of empathy for the earth. Well, you're having a moment of empathy for this this drop of paint, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I in a lot of ways have moments of empathy for the wet rocks on the beach or um. The pieces, like uh, a lot of my works that are circular are made out of cutouts of radiator fans that would have literally been scrap metal at this custom radiator shop I worked at. And and then I plasma cut rivers into them and then I make them into art pieces, right? Like, and I take broken glass from Goodwill and then I, I turn them into these like, these extremely shiny translucent textures. And, um, and so I think most of my art practice is actually birthed, birthed, birthed from that same moment of like sadness for the paint glob, but like as much of my art practice as I can make is that is like imbued with that feeling of like, how could I reintegrate beauty into this thing that is otherwise discarded? And there are just some things, you know, like the, the piece I just made is like this burnt orange rust and it's literally a rusted piece of metal. I've had those pieces of metal for so long, it rusted over entirely. And the rust was so beautiful that I made a circle piece with the rust too. And and um, so these natural processes that have overcome the metal and this like long-term relationship with this piece or this object that then became a finished piece is like this extended moment of like grief or empathy for like that same moment of like, I feel bad for this like piece of paint that like just never made it to being a piece of art, you know? And, and I feel bad for these like pieces of metal that are like gorgeous and like fresh and like this multi-million dollar laser had cut them out and like, and they were just waste, but they're perfect metal circles. And I just thought they were gorgeous. And like so many pieces of my sculptures are like, wow, this beautiful round piece of wood or this piece of bark or this slice of and um, sculptors are also terrible hoarders. <laughs> we collect all the things. Well, painters are just as bad, dude. If, if you see how many cups full of brushes I have. Right. Dude, right. it's the same shit. Do you abuse your brushes? I was so terrible as a painter. Um, I try to take care of them, but the process, oh my God, it just wears consuming. them out. <laughs> yeah, the process just wears them out. Like the, mm. you know, dragging them, you know, especially acrylic paints because I work in acrylic. Yeah. So it it's so hard on paints. Yeah. Um, oil oil paints you could get away with a lot more um, a lot more work with oil because it's not you know it's it's buttery like the Chardonnay that we're sipping. Yeah, it is. Very it's a little buttery. <laughs> it's weird. Movie popcorn, like olive finish. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty known for saying that uh, um, um, I'm married to sculpture, but painting is my mistress. Oh. And um, I saw a couple of paintings on your page, but you don't have a lot of paintings per se on your on your page. Not anymore. It feels like I've lived many lives sometimes. Um, And one of those was I did painting for 10 years Um, when I did the uh, PCAL project at the Kansas City Art Institute that I was talking about when I went to community college before going to Sac State. um, I went to community college back in Kansas City. I was a painter, mostly. I had just started taking my last couple of sculpture classes when I was leaving community college. And so for most of my career, I've been a painter. Uh, Arguably, I quit because I, um, there are things in painting that didn't align with me. I always felt like a bad painter. And I I say that non-shamefully because I I align with sculpture so much better. But I'm constantly finding ways to put painting back into my sculpture. And the idea that any one discipline is truly separate is, you know, just something that's sometimes helpful and also sometimes just like complete bullshit, you know, like you have to yeah. find the moments where you have to blur those 
like when texture becomes so a part of a painting that you need to think dimensionally, you know, or, or vice versa. Like I layer things in my sculptures that have color. And so the relationship with sculpture and color is very different because every material has a color, but it still happens all the time where I'm layering things and, and that's an intrinsically important moment where I have to rely on my sensitivities as a painter. So the way they overlap is very cool, but also for like 10 years, that's mostly what I thought about. And I was an acrylic painter. I have a big love for it. So did you grow up in Kansas City? I did, I did, yeah. Uh, born and raised, Kansas City. Um, I, yeah, I went to the Kansas City Art Zoo for a little while. Then I went to Johnson County Community College. I got a great education in craftsmanship. Um, it was a, a well-endowed community college with a full wood shop, metal shop, and foundry. So um, I was very lucky to go to a community college that has resources that are like competitive or more competitive than Sac State for sure. And so, so you said, I'm not going to be a Jayhawk. I'm going to be <laughs> a Hornet. Right. Yeah, no, I had the opportunity to try to go to college in my hometown. I also applied to all of the big like SAIC in Chicago. I applied to CCA in the Bay and I got some scholarship money, but like a quarter of what it would cost. I'm, you 85,000? Yeah, mm. I mean, getting, getting you know, a quarter of 200,000, you know, in tuition over four years is a drop in a fucking bucket um, compared. So um, I fell in love with California when I visited my uncle, who's a writer. Funny enough, also the same person I took my last name, my artist's last name from, uh, Lauren DeBoer. Um, he's a writer out here and a naturalist. And I'd visit him when I was young, when I was 15, I'd come out here. And I fell in love with the beauty of Northern California. And I fell in love with the grassroots mural scene in Oakland. Funny enough. Yes. Funny enough, I saw people painting live murals all over Oakland when I visited when I was in 2015. And I started a seven year journey to saving money to move here because of it. I felt so, I felt like I needed to be here. No, that's a thing. You ever like that, go somewhere and you just feel. You feel like, oh, this is, this is supposed to be a thing. I'm, I'm big on that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a big, uh, I'm really good at noticing when something's important. Mm. Like, I don't know why, but I go, the fuck, this is, this is important. And I don't know why. And I'll like look around and nobody else notices. And I'm like, but I, but I, yeah. but, but I know that, I know that this is important and I don't know why. And I, I'm, it's not for me to know why. It's just that I, I know it. Yeah. And I just keep that, you know, just keep that tucked away and then just try to honor that, that intuition. And yeah. it always, and it always comes about that. Yeah. That was, that was, that was intrinsic to the process, dude. I think most people have an intuition. It's it's the difference between like how many years it takes you to learn, follow, listen, and actually f like go through with something is like, I just know. Because the world tells you that's not a good reason to do anything, right? Like we get raised to be like, the world tells you it's like a terrible idea. Like, oh, you just think you should. Where Where's your source? Where did you get that from? You know, and, and the world's a very doubtful place, especially for creatives and artists. Very doubtful. Because they've never seen someone do it before. And well, they don't know what people who can't formulate it fear it sometimes. Like I've definitely worked in work environments where I stopped working there because the person I worked with was such a linear focused person that they couldn't understand how I was getting the work done. So they couldn't let me get it done. Like they just, they were like, you can't do this job. And I'm like, well, I'm accomplishing everything like that you need me to do. Yeah, But you're not doing it right. But you're yeah, not doing it right. But you're not doing it in a way that I get or can supervise you doing it. And it's like, well, but I'm performing hand over fist compared to how you would be having me do it. And they, they don't care. It's the unknowing that's so much worse. And, and that's a, that's a funny place to be in sometimes, uh, as like a creative and logical person, right? Like being like, I also understand that categorically to do it your way would be like an unnecessary use of my own time. And that's where like projects part sometimes. Not just that. It's like, um, certain things are geared that people want you to be them and they're mad when you're not. I, I found that that's, mm. that's, mm -hmm. that's the case, dude. That's the case. So, so everyone it, loves a mirror. Every, everyone loves a mirror, but, but here's, here's the thing. Um, prison was such an interesting college. 
I had a friend call it concrete college because she oh. spent because she spent like thirty years in prison off and on. And she's like, yeah, when I was in concrete college, she'd always call it that. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. I'm like, dude, I, I learned so many interesting things because I'm living in a fishbowl and you just get to see people like, cause people use drugs, people have mental illness, people, and you could see people yeah. unravel. Right. Mm. And you could see people unraveled because of their anger. You could see them people unravel. You could see people unravel their anger yeah, and dismantle it and, and just like turn into these other people. And you could see it like happening Pretty much in real time, you can see this person changing over the course of years because mm-hmm. you build relationships with people for years. And one thing I learned about people from prison is people who hated all of their cellies, like they'd be like, oh, man, I can't live with this dude. Oh, I can't live with this dude. Oh, man, this fucking guy. I fucking hate this right. guy. This guy does. And you hear them talk and everything that they hate about them is be- is usually because they do something a different way than they do it. Mm. And it's yeah. like, I'm like, am I that guy? You know what I mean? When That's I noticed it, the first thing was like, am I that guy? And I'm like, I am that guy. Everybody's that guy to some degree. Yeah. I've right. Like if the- you don't, if you don't love, um, you know, if you don't love, if you like pepperoni and pineapple pizza, people are going to go, what the fuck, dude? Right. Well, pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. You know what I mean? There's always, there's always that. There's always like this, this other, this, this, this other point of view that, kind of fucks with you like no no Mm. i think we all suffer from that and i think what the more we can let that go i think the more we can just go like we're more free to like appreciate the different ways that people do shit you know the different ways that people get shit done because my wife does shit completely completely opposite of me like she's very she's very linear she can like like Mm -hmm. set them up and knock them down I have to set them up, pour some wine. I have to right. go, uh, I got to go walk the dog. I got to go do this. I got to do that. And then I end up doing like 30 things over the course of getting that one thing done. Yeah. But it gets done, mm-hmm. but it's just in a different way. And if it needs to get done, like right now, I'm like, love, can you can you do that? Well, because- I think there's an element of control there too. Like like the othering and the control element. Yeah. You know, this is what my piece by Cameral Ether was about a lot. So I, I made like a large pyramid inside of a dark installation room and it responded to light and sound and it emitted light. And, but it was two hemispheres of the brain. Oh, was that at that? Um, what was coordinates that? installation. Yeah, coordinates. Yeah, oh, coordinates. dude, I missed it, dude. I missed it. That's where I found out about you. Yeah, it couldn't stay open long enough for everyone to experience it. it was like two weeks. Yeah, it was like open for like three weeks, and it was hard to get the word out. I mean, it was a very short-lived, like, pro- like the amount of time artists had to actually make something and then like present it was like a very short timeline. So, like, also press and everything, and and running a project of that scale, it was thirty different installation rooms, lots of resources, time. So, like, it was quite a heavy task for the organizers, but it definitely didn't go on as long as maybe it could have with more volunteers or awareness. Just one of those hard things, like capturing the energy of things in SAC. It becomes hard. And, and a problem sometimes. Um, that was one of those projects that probably would have benefited from more people seeing it. But at the same time, it was like a moment. It was it was this this insular moment that happened for the people who experienced it. it was it was meaningful. Um, but in that piece, you know, I was talking, I was processing something in myself. And this is kind of cool as I'm getting older that when I make work to process something about my internal landscape or myself. I watch the effects and the growth play out in real time. And that's a very rewarding feeling. I only feel that now as I'm starting to approach my 25th birthday, that the last couple of years of like art making have started to help me process. Or I've noticed that when I say I'm making a piece to process something about myself, it actually helps me change. And I think that any younger age than this, and I, I didn't have concrete evidence of that. I just was hoping that it was healing me to do these things. And it felt like it was. And, um, this piece specifically was the two hemispheres of the brain and I stenciled onto the side of it many words, but one of them was shield. And the idea is that we are compartmentalized beings is processing my need for control. And most of my creative life, even though I have many friends and many people I know, I know them all individually or in separate parts of my life, a very compartmentalized person. I had control over, or I felt like I did, over how each person felt about me, or at least I knew where I stood with everyone because they didn't all know each other. I knew everyone and and that's how I just handled it. And after a while I started, you know, questioning like, is this healthy for me? How do I benefit from this? What is it 
what does it do to me that I have to spend time with everyone individually? And why, if I find all of these individual people amazing, why don't they at least know each other? Like, they don't need to all be best friends too, but like, like why, why do, you know, and, and I've also come into a good relationships for a long time. I lived in SAC and I, I explored every nook and cranny of the art scene I could find and I loved it, but I started to feel like, are my people here? I don't know. And I struggled with that for a while. I think that's an extremely personal thing, you know, just like, are my people here? And, um, and in the last year I've, I've found people who make me feel that way. And because I made that piece about the compartmentalization or that control, I started introducing all of the people in my life who are also these like nerds, these process nerds, these sculpture nerds, business nerds. And like, that's how it accumulates into something like what I'm trying to build at shop class. Like it's a, it's a culmination of all of these people coming together in my life who I think are absolutely excellent at what they do. And I finally feel like I'm in a place to trust them to all be excellent at it. You know, before it was like, I need to do, I need to make. And, uh, and I was terrible at delegating or asking for help or because I knew everyone separately and, and all of this, you know, all this, you know, like worry. Well, the, the other part about that is one thing that I realized is um, different parts of me resonate with different people. Right. So like I can talk about Star Wars with my fucking Star Wars friends. Right. (laughs) But if I if I start talking about that in front of my sister, she's going to be like. Cool. Like awesome. And she's one of my she's one of my my sister is one of my closest friends. Right. Right. But, you know, we don't really relate that way. But when I bring her around my Star Wars friends like they're fucking cool because they 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 know. uh how important uh, or something? Well, they, they know, they know uh, a true part of me. Mm, and they, and they like that it. honest, they, they know that honest part of me that really likes this or really likes that or really does this or does that. And when they come together, they just kind of, it's, they're an extension of me. Like my friends and, my, and the people I surround myself are an extent, they're like mirrors. Yeah, yeah. You know what absolutely. I mean? Like, I, I, well, I, this plays into the misunderstanding thing, right? Like, finally letting all of these people enjoy me as like a whole person, even though I show up in slightly different ways in different places, was this well-rounded, like, like it was like a relief, and then also like, oh, I was like, oh, I've been missing out on like the quantifiable joy that these people have. They know a true part of you, and there's something. Um, there's something about being seen in that too that I was also robbing myself of having, right? Like, right. Um, I don't know. I I think that's really lovely. I, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny to think that um, as an artist exerting control, like you know, control becomes a big part. Like your whole studio practice when you're self ascribing it and making it as an individual who just needs to make work. It's an extremely personal process of control. Oh, dude, trust me. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And I'm like, Ooh. when I try to paint, it's like, dude, they want to help me. They want to quote unquote help me. And I'm like, dude, uh, I'm fucking like, I need right. to like, yeah. And, um, but there's moments of joy when I could just let them paint mm-hmm. on something that I'm working on that I have a fucking singular vision for. And just let them kind of fuck around with it and then push me to make it into something else because now they've collaborated with me on this fucking piece that I thought was going really well, but apparently they're like, no, 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 you're full of right. shit, dad. You don't right. know. So um, I, it's so a that, great test too, so, right? So that's, that's really cool, but I still need to be able to control mm-hmm. like my vision for that. Even if they throw in their thing, like their, you know, whatever it is, like they've changed the palette just enough so that, okay, now now we need to go this direction and and i need to be able to control that right because otherwise it's not it's not really my piece now i'm i'm worried i don't worry about what they do it could be right. it could be right. covered up completely what they do might be covered up completely but it's still fundamentally changed the painting and they're an active collaborator in it but i still need to control my shit Right. And I would argue that because they're not even like really conscious of what you're aiming for, or what you're doing, like they're literally nothing more than just a disruption in your, the intimacy you have with that piece. 
Right. It's true. Like, like the cool thing about that is, is like the piece is still yours and you're still going to, and your determination to still do something with it after they play with it is like this reclaiming of like, and, um, and willingness for play and, and also suggestion that like, um, uh, no matter how much they manipulate it, that overall you preside over the way this piece is and it's still yours and you have like an undeniable connection with it. And, you know, if you decided that they messed with it and you're like, oh, this is lame and you just like throw it away, it loses that. It's the paint yeah. that doesn't hit the canvas. It's the paint that doesn't hit the canvas. But, um, but when you when you decide that their disruption is not an actual detraction from your end goal, which was making something aesthetic out of the piece and you like release that and allow them to play with it anyway and know that the piece will be fine. There's a trusting yourself in that that probably makes the work sweeter, more real, and more honest. And that that same kind of thing, like we're sharing a true piece of ourselves, right? Like you are a father. You are someone who has these people in your life and they genuinely want to participate in your art making process. And somehow the work is fundamentally changed by them, but it's also fundamentally not theirs. What a weird and interesting space to be in, you know? Fucking me up, bro. <laughs> that's really fun, you know? And um, um, I think disruptions are so helpful. Like, talking well, about the crocodile piece, that's born out of an artist who talks about disruption. He uses more joyful terms. I think disruption is kind of joyful for me. Like, disruption can be good or bad. But, like, disrupting in normal spaces, like, disrupting environments, like, planting, like, dandelions in a place they shouldn't be like almost like it's graffiti but just like disrupting a small environment or environmental female artists who disrupt they spray paint things on rocks and natural environments but it's like the stencil of birds those are disruptions yeah. right and then like installations at coordinates where i made like a brain in a dark room that's a disruption of what used to be an office space in a downtown area that's going to be gentrified that's a disruption so it's like you know, disruptions happen in all of these very interesting ways, but like the way we turn them into aesthetic experiences for other people and allow them to learn from them is like a lot of the magic, I think. Yeah. And so, so here's, here, check this out. Yeah. So here's, here's my theory and maybe I'm full of shit, but <laughs> I've thought about this. So Miles Davis said it took him a lifetime to figure out what notes not to play. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? He learned what notes to play like really early. He, he learned what notes to play, but it took him a lifetime to learn what notes not to play. Has he won an award for good quotes? I like <laughs> I hear good quotes and people are like, well, dude, the dude's a fucking crazy guy. Like <laughs> yeah. The dude's a crazy guy. Yeah, like no. he, if you watch an actual interview with him, he's a crazy man. But of course the he is. The quotes are great. Got yeah, it. but of course he is. <laughs> the music he makes, the, the quotes he has. Will you it's say just, it for me one more time? It took him a lifetime to learn what notes not to play. Yeah. So like right now, I'm at a point where I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to paint more, but mm -hmm. like my, but my kids want so much of my time and they want so much of me and they have their own interests. So I have to join them in their journey. Mm, right. Yeah. And so for me, I kind of feel like I'm not playing certain notes right now. Because I'm not, because I'm not supposed to play those notes. So mm. I, I can't play my guitar because my kid goes, dad, 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 dad. And he goes, brum, brum, brum. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I can't paint because my kid wants to go, kick, 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 kick. So right. we got to take out his paints and we got to paint with his stuff. We got to draw with his stuff, you, you know? And, huh. and I feel like when, when I do, when my, when my next shit drops, it's going to be this whole other thing that's been informed by this experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if it, if it wasn't. And also... What a what a lovely opportunity to like um, allow the making to become unmaking, right? Because you're allowing disruptions that you know might not actually end you with finished work in those moments, but knowing that the experiences of sharing those moments of your art and like that's the hard part. Like you can't just keep making work; you have to do the living to make the work, right? And and so. Yeah. I went through a period where I haven't really released a new sculpture in maybe like six months. I've been showing work. I've been doing things. I've been making, but I haven't actually finished and put out and posted and photographed a finished work in like six months. And before that, I showed constantly for like two years and I loved it and I loved that, but it motivated the work in a very different way. And now I've allowed myself and freed myself from the need to make it for money 
and I'm making the work for concept. And, and, but it took all six months of not making to re-remind myself where the willpower in making is. So like kids are no kids, right? Like there are points where like, you're not playing certain notes. And I, I, when I break it down for other artists or when I relate in short conversations, other artists, I talk about it, the showing phase and the making phase. And there's the very different, very different. And the making phase is experimental. And if you have a success rate, if you, if 50% of the work that you make is stuff you put out, you're doing it wrong. I'm fucking serious. The idea that everything you make is great and is for everyone else's consumption is a fallacy. And you can put out everything you make, but if you are expecting the same amount of response to the person who like failed 50 times in private and put out the one thing they thought was great, you're not playing the same game. It's true. It's true. But, uh, you know, um, I think that's a lesson that, that people have to, to learn. Cause have you ever looked at a painting that you thought was shit? And then you come back, like one of your paintings, you're like, man, this didn't come out right. It's shit. And then you come back later and you're like, dude, that's fucking cool. Like two, three years later, you have it tucked behind something else. You're like, dude, that's really fucking cool. Like, what was I, what was I thinking when I did that? Right. It might not be the, the piece overall, but it might be a part of it that goes like, dude, that was fucking cool. What was that? What was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. There's some paintings I have near the end of like when I stopped painting and picked up sculpture where I, uh, I, um, I, there was confidence in my brushstrokes in a way I'd never seen in my painting career that finally started me getting to the point where I was like, oh, maybe if I had like, I almost was a good painter. There's like a confidence there that I can see in the work and like the end painting itself. Yeah, I could have improved things, but the reason people loved it, there was an expressiveness or an uh, organicness to the brushstroke that was confident and laid down almost immediately that not all of my paintings have. And it's um, something I've only managed to capture a couple of times in painting, which is why I stuck with sculpture. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so. So, so listen, you're, you're, you're starting to play some really cool notes. Yes. Right. So why don't you tell us about this open mic that's coming uh, every other Thursday? What is it? Yeah. Let's, let's start with the fact that I'm not actually a musician and I'm not literally playing notes. Um, uh, I am, I'm trying to help create a platform for people who do make music and want to showcase their talents here in Oak Park. So I am the resident artist at a place called Community Shot Class. It's at 3818 Stockton Boulevard. We have an open mic starting this Thursday, and we hope to have it every other Thursday for a very long time, trying to get a good crowd for the very first one. And um, yeah, uh, we're extremely excited. Sign up start at 6.30. If you make music, you play music, if you're a rapper, a comedian, a singer, songwriter, poet, please come out, sign up, get a little, a little early, get on the list. And performances will start at seven. Something tells me this one might go a little bit late. It's the first one. I'd really like our hosts, Moon and Mad and Bad Dog, to perform. Bad Dog is a drum and bass head with a beautiful sound uh, equipment who's bringing it to shop class so we can have the open mic. And Moon is a best friend of mine. He's a rapper and producer from Kansas City. He helped start a music collective there, and then he moved here to live with me. And uh, we're best friends. We've known each other for most of our lives. And uh, I looked at him and I said, oh, man, you know, community shop class, it's got this stage. And it's like this really lovely place. You know, we had a don't tell comedy come through and we had a comedy group and they use the stage wonderfully. And I looked at him and I was like, I want to have an open mic. but I have no idea how to run the equipment. I can't do this without you. And uh, he was like, let's do it. You know, fuck it. You know, and I love it, and, dude. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's grown from there. And now I have a studio in the back. So I want to bring the music scene and the art scene together. I want to provide opportunities for both to have their work seen. I want our members to meet the public. I want the public to meet community shop class. I would just really love if this was a growing community event where we all get to see each other and what we care about. Like, it would be so cool if people just came and nerded out about what they're making. Like, that's what shop class is about. I'm going to try to make it. Yeah, I would love if you did, please. Yeah, dude, I'm going to try to make it because what you're talking about doing is what we talk about doing with We Are Sacramento. Like they're, they've been the platform yeah. for, they're, they're like ground level for the scaffolding that Sacramento, that the, the, that, the, that the art scene is is building. Like there's there's so many connections that come back to mm -hmm. this building and now you're one of them. Oh, 
so lucky so, to be it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're just, we're just trying to like put other people out there, like other artists, mm-hmm. like anybody who's doing something cool in the community. We're just trying to, to highlight that because we want to let Sacramento know how fucking cool it is. Yeah, like I'm, one like one I'm person one at a people, time. I'm one of those people that believes that Sacramento is a truly gorgeous city. Like all this excitement about the Kings is fun, but what I'm really excited about is like, wow, Sacramento pride looks good on you, Sacramento. Yeah, like just yeah, like, be proud keep of that. yourself. Let's just keep that. Like sports team, no sports team. Like Sacramento, Sac pride looks good on you. If I could say anything with this mic, I'll say that. <laughs> um, but I, no, I believe in those things. I moved here. I chose here. People are like why Sac, and I just. Um, I feel bad for the people who who see their city that way um, because there are a lot of people who create magic. There's a lot of people who put their energy into this place. And like, yeah, I mean, like, if you're not looking for it, you might be part of the problem. And, you know, I'll I'll end on a hot take. Um, Okay. Well, listen, um, it's about that time when I ask the question. So let's just say, God forbid, you go up north and you're, you know, on one of these stony beaches and it's beautiful and the fucking fog comes in like it does. And when it rolls out, you're gone. We don't know where you went. Where'd Ember go? Nobody knows. <laughs> right? And all we have left is what you left behind. Like, what do you hope your legacy is? My legacy. Mm. Mm. That's a really loaded question. Um if I had any legacy, I would hope that I've inspired people to take power over their own surroundings and power over their own mind to live in a way that feels honest and live in a way that feels desire driven, like hedonistic, like for your own for your own self, baby, you know? And if I've done anything with my work, it's just inspire people to confront the fears that keep us from being us way earlier in your life and get to the parts that feel true so much sooner. Um, It's a funny thing to say that because I don't think there's any rush, but I think that if I could leave any legacy, I hope to embolden people to say how they feel and to give people the opportunity to make you feel seen because it's a two-way street. That's good shit. Ember, this is this is an this is awesome, dude. Thank I'm you so, so happy. Much. I, I feel like I made a friend. Yes, so, you did. Absolutely. So this would be cool. Hopefully this uh Thursday uh I can drop in. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And um I'll be sure to report on it the next Monday. Yeah, so um the next the next uh, open mic is gonna be on the twenty third on a Thursday. So if you didn't make the first one, make the second one because uh we're gonna keep it going. Hell yeah, dude. And as always This podcast is brought to you by We Are Sacramento and The Loft. That was awesome.